You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. This is Win Win, an entrepreneurial community. This is your host, Ben Wolf. Uh, happy to join you again. I invite you all to like, follow, subscribe, leave a review wherever it is that you are listening to or watching this on whatever platform that happens to be. It helps more people get access to the content that we're sharing here and uh, helps me and helps other business owners out there to, uh, to, to share more in this value. So appreciate it. If y'all would pause and do that real quick. Um, it is very much appreciated. And with that, I want to get into introducing our guest today, who is going to speak about how to build a culture of disruption in your organization. Uh, he is the New York Times bestselling author of The Lean Entrepreneur, uh, which you could find out about at leanentrepreneur.co. Uh, he has another book coming out in October, so not very far away, and the same month as, as my book is coming out, uh, called Disruption Proof. And I'm going to have a link to where you could get that <clears throat> and pre-order it even on, um, on, the, uh, on the show notes and the show description and the social media, so you'll be able to get access to that. He is the CEO of Moves the Needle, which helps bring disruption to the culture of organizations. You can find out about more about him and get his book at brantcooper.com, B-R-A-N-T, cooper.com. And with that, I give you, unsurprisingly, Brant Cooper. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Ben. My pleasure. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, and I want to ask you to do what I ask everybody to do, which is to give us like a quick two minutes. It's going to give us a, a little context. How do you end up working on and speaking about, uh, you know, the topic, I guess, primarily of disruption and what that means and how it fits in a culture and how you, how you inculcate it and what it's better than and what it's not better than. Uh, and how did you get into this? Right, so give us a little context, two minute background. Yeah, so I, uh, I, I lived through the dot-com boom and bust. So I was up in the Silicon Valley area era. I was in the Silicon Valley area during the, the whole dot-com boom era. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it was in a bunch of startups and, and, you know, that was really what we were trying to do. We thought we were, you know, changing the world. We were trying to change the world. And there were a lot of assumptions about what we were going to do. Uh, and the bust, uh, the bust was really sort of not so fast. I mean, I, I think that we are changing the world. We're all changing the world, but it takes a little bit longer than perhaps, uh, you know, one decade in Silicon Valley. Um, but there's a lot of, there's a mindset there. There's a, there's a bunch of principles around dealing with uncertainty, which is really what startups are about, uh, as opposed to say large businesses that have already figured out a market, markets, multiple markets. Uh, they figured out the blueprint on how to market, sell, distribute, create products for that market. And so there's relatively uh, little uh, uncertainty in the startup world, it's it's a blank slate, and so uh, you actually have to go figure stuff out, and that's what I've been writing and teaching about for over a decade now. Um, I think what I learned working with large companies for the last ten years or so, bringing in this entrepreneurial spirit, this startup culture, is that there's actually uncertainty exists everywhere. And it's been brought on by this, the digital revolution. So moving from sort of an assembly line industrial age into the digital age means that things are less permanent. Change is happening all the time. Uh, consumers are running around with computers in their pockets and 
they're able to make decisions whenever they want and change from one vendor to another. And so the interconnectedness, the speed of information, the speed of misinformation, all of these things add uncertainty to what normally was sort of core business that we had already figured out. And so really the, the premise with the new book, Disruption Proof, is how do we actually create organizations? How do we structure them? How do we manage them? What is the behavior we expect out of everyone from the front line to the C-suite in order to deal with uh, the uncertainty that's brought on by the increased complexity of the world and really these endless disruptions, things like the pandemic or uh, energy grid collapse or a ship getting stuck in a canal disrupting global supply chains. These things continue to disrupt really economies everywhere. And so we have to actually build and think about our businesses differently in the face of the digital era. Right. Well, it definitely, it definitely helps also in, in trying to get my head around what, what we were going to be talking about today, that, that introduction for sure. And, and I guess one of the things I saw in, in preparing for our conversation today was some potential negative connotation around the idea of hierarchy, hierarchy-based systems or organizations and even lean process. Um, so I, walk me through, I guess, what I was seeing or, you know, or, or what that's about and, and how that's right. Yeah, well, so I think, I mean, hierarchy, there's always going to be some, some need for hierarchy. Uh, it's the differentiating between what's known and what's unknown. So if you are working in a very known environment where things are figured out, then you can manage efficiency based upon the amount of output you get for the amount of input you put into the process. You can manage people by them repeating known tasks that you know have the output that you want. So in those contexts, the traditional way of management is fine. Uh, but those things break when you apply them to realms of uncertainty. So if you actually don't know the answers and what you do is manage based upon this central hierarchy, decisions are made from the top and they're pushed on down, you will fail. Uh, uh, forcing execution in the face of uncertainty is really just taking one shot at something. There's no way to bounce back from that. It will lead to failure. And so the fact or the idea that there's increased complexity means that we need to learn how to balance those traditional management practices with learning practices, with exploration. Um, and so rather than you know the innovation industry peddles the idea that you need to divide up your company into an execution part of your business and an exploration part of your business. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that uh, you need to balance those everywhere, every, all across the company. It's going to differ in the, in the balance when you are in the core business versus you know, an innovation group, but everybody needs to learn how to deal with the uncertainty. It's interesting to me that you bring up the term lean. I don't think that there's anything anti-lean in any of my uh, I don't know what I saw. I saw something. I don't know. I don't know what I saw. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, okay. I mean, to me, lean is the reduction of. But I guess it's uh, a re it's a repetitive process, which is not always applicable. Well, saying. lean is actually about reducing waste, and so it, it really isn't about repetitive uh, processes either, except for that right. you are uh, 
you're repeating what you've actually learned to work really well. So you don't want to vary from, from what's actually working. Um, the trick in the, you know, sort of this digital world is, is that you actually have to go in check more often, whether in fact those repeated processes are the most efficient, whether you actually have, I mean, so like, you know, continuous improvement is very much a lean concept. And the idea of continuous improvement uh, admits that there's a certain amount of uncertainty um, because if you always can improve the processes. And so you're building that into, so I'm actually very pro lean. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't, it doesn't explicitly deal with uncertainty in the same way that, uh, that uh, say the lean startup movement or lean innovation uh, talks about it. Right. What, what are, what are some areas that people might be in as business owners, you know, or, or, or leadership people who might be listening to this? What are the most, I guess, the most relevant or the most relevant kinds of organizations for the stuff that you teach about with a disruption culture? Any organization that faces uncertainty. <laughs> right. Well, right. That could be anything. I mean, you know, I used to work at home care, for example, right. you know, built an organization around home care. So always uncertainty there's always things potentially changing you know and uh but you had to build an organization that works with thousands and thousands of patients you know and thousands and thousands of caregivers and how does that you know what kind of processes work and keep you compliant and and uh and so so yeah just so so i guess if you don't mind speak more about what you help teach people to do well so uh so we've done we've done quite a bit of work in in healthcare, some of it is around, say, a digital transformation project. And so this is, this is an organization, a, a global organization that perhaps didn't, didn't keep up with the changes and then gets to a point where really their very existence depends upon uh, figuring out what, what, what's a modern version of their diagnostic equipment and how do you actually right. bring all of that data together and how can you bring in, uh, correlate that data to say government data or even to competitors' diagnostic equipment. Uh, and so they went and uh, started a, a really a massive digital transformation project to uh, create a, a, a platform is really what they were going for. And it was a, a it's still ongoing, a very large endeavor. Uh, but so what we did is we helped formulate seven, what I would call agile teams. They were kind of large for traditional agile, but they represented different parts of what this platform might be. Um, and they represented, they were cross-functional, interdisciplinary, uh, ranging from different areas across the company. And basically, we put them through learning processes. We taught them how to uh, talk to customers and how to interview stakeholders. And we taught them how to run experiments, uh, which is really around measuring people's behavior. So instead of automatically assuming that people will say what they will do, you can run behavioral type experiments to validate whether people will behave in the way they say or, or the way you think that they will. So it's assumption busting, it's using evidence to make decision making. So those are the types of workshops and accelerator programs we put companies through in absolutely every industry sector. They're not always so grand. They can be, uh, they can be marketing organizations that need to figure out 
uh, what are the changes in a particular market or bringing new uh, existing products into emerging markets. Uh, it could be uh, how you might be able to apply a, a chemical to new product development. Um, it, it, again, it, I, <laughs> I don't mean to sound flippant, but it's wherever there's uncertainty. The thing is, is that right. it's hard for people to differentiate between that. It's not something that is normally inside a hierarchical command and control system. There isn't often the self-awareness and the reflection to actually say, hey, do we really do we really have the answers in today's modern society? And how can we go and learn whether what we know is true or not? And so those are the practices that we're teaching companies how to go and figure stuff out. Well, how do you, so if you can maybe give an example, how, how you, you know, what's an example of, of, of a process of how you, of how you teach someone to, or a tool that you taught someone to use to, to navigate uncertainty or to learn an experiment uh, when that was not the way they did things before, or maybe they thought they were in a more stable type of field. I don't know. Well, again, you know, I can't really teach them the self-awareness to figure out whether or not they're, they know when they're facing uncertainty because things aren't working anymore, right? I, I, I sort of joke that uh, the definition of insanity that everybody says is that, you know, you, you keep doing the same thing over and over again and you expect different results. And, and what I joke is, well, you're doing the same things over and over again and you are getting different results and you don't necessarily <laughs> want the different results. Right. So when, when organizations are facing declining growth or they're seeing that the future is changing and they realize that their existing products will not be able to be marketed and sold or even have the same features as they, as they did yesterday. So they typically, they typically learn that uh, something needs to it's change. It's not working, right. Right, and so we will run, you've probably heard of Google Design Sprints uh, or design sprints. We, we run the same sort of thing differently. It'll be a five-day workshop where day one is we give them a little bit of instruction and then we send them out to go talk to their customers. And we'll mm -hmm. help them figure out ways that you engage with your existing customers or potential customers in ways that you can start learning about what are their needs. Can we validate that they have the same needs as we thought? Um, and then the experiment is really using a disciplined process for creating a hypothesis and designing an experiment. An experiment could be a pop-up store. An experiment could be hmm. one, one hospital we worked with, they saw that uh, inside this very large uh, exam room, doctors and nurses were not washing their hands as often as they should, which is kind of crazy, but there was one sink off in the corner and, and uh, and so this group wanted to figure out how they could get the, the doctors and nurses to wash their hands more frequently. And so they designed a prototype very quickly of a hand sanitizer that didn't require any, and they, they were just trying to get to the behavior. Would doctors and nurses go and put their hands in a box and hold their hands there for 20 or 30 seconds? This is whatever they thought their riskiest assumption was for this particular idea. And so- mm -hmm went in on site and they would go and ask doctors and nurses to put their hands in the box for 30 seconds in order to measure that they would actually do something like that before they developed all of the technology required to, mm -hmm. to actually do the sanitization of the hands. And so 
all behave, you know, all products, all marketing, selling, all of these things require behavior change. And so you can run experiments to try to get people to behave in a way that indicates that if you went and built it, they would actually behave in that way. So you're trying to reduce right. the risk um, by testing and validating all of that stuff uh, early on before you invest in, in the building. Right. Right. It makes sense. I mean, it's, you know, one of the things is that any, I mean, any organization before it become, you mentioned like, you know, the dot-com boom and everybody's, you know, trying to be the disruptor. But I mean, the reality is that, you know, that when you're in one of those stable industries and things stop working, I mean, that's when, that's when they're right to be disrupted by someone else who comes up with a better way and they're, they're more agile. Um, you know, so you're trying to teach people how to be disrupted, disruption proof as your, as your book title. So, so yeah, I mean, the, 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 I want people to go in and disrupt themselves. And, right. and so if you disrupt yourself, then you actually are becoming disruption proof from an outside externality. Right. So there was a, here in San Diego over the summer, there was a, a hospital system that, uh, that was attacked by a ransomware. And it shut down their IT systems. You know, the, the media sort of treated that like, oh, well, people, you know, it's difficult for them to get, you know, their appointments scheduled. But this actually shut the hospital down for almost a month. And mm. um, all treatments uh, that had to do with IT, which included cancer treatments, were stopped for three weeks. Oh, and uh, obviously, this is disrupting the company. It's not a startup that's disrupting him, but it's disrupting the, the very revenues and the very purpose of the existence of that hospital system. And so in today's day and age, you know, you can't just make decisions based upon efficiency. Like, no, we don't need redundancy because it costs too much money. You might say, <laughs> well, we should be building redundant IT systems. So if we get attacked, we actually can stay up and running. And it's the same thing with supply chains. And it's the same thing with energy grids. We've gone through several decades now of looking at our business processes only through a financial efficiency lens, as opposed right. to what are we doing in order to stave off these, these other types of disruptions that we're vulnerable to, uh, we're vulnerable to because of the di digital revolution. It's because of the interconnectedness and the speed of information and the ability of consumers to change from one vendor to another. These are the reasons why all of these things are, make us more vulnerable. And so we have to look at the way we manage and structure and finance the different activities of our company. We have to look at those differently in order to not have to go through the disruption every time something like this happens. Right. Well, just, I mean, what, what the examples you're, you're giving make me think also of all the stuff that happened after COVID. I mean, first of all, with, yep. with, with the work from home and people who weren't ready for that. And so there was a gap or all the, you mentioned supply chain. I mean, you know, supply chain, you were getting everything from China. What does, you know, where, where do disruptions in that supply chain get in the way of us being able to have the materials to make our products or, or do whatever we're doing? I'm, we're still dealing, I'm going to renovate a house soon. I mean, we're still dealing with, you know, uh, materials costs being insanely yep. more expensive and, and more scarce uh, because of supply chain issues. Um, yep. You know, well, and, and actually you could even go back to things like industrial policy that um, also affected our readiness, you know, the, the computer chip uh, shortage. And, and, you know, there were a lot of stories that came out pretty quickly after COVID that 
you know, about the restaurants that were able to respond very quickly uh, and start doing delivery or doing other ways in order to fulfill products. So those are examples of very agile companies. And so I think that that's exactly the mindset that we're trying to build in. A matter of fact, one of the case studies in the book is a company that produces digital fabrication equipment to the fashion industry. And so they were slammed by COVID. A lot of their uh, customers, or at least their co customers' manufacturers, were in China, and they just ground to a halt. Um, and they were able to very quickly spin up um, these PPE uh, patterns and changes to the equipment so that a bunch of their fashion customers, clients, started producing PPP, PPE equipment, you know, gowns and masks and, and all of those type of things. Mm -hmm in order to respond to the, the, the market change. And it was really an extraordinary reaction mm -hmm. uh, on their part. Um, and a similar story actually with the city of Hayward in California, which is a company that's gone through our, our training. Um, mm -hmm. They had the, the first uh, free COVID testing facility in, in the country, I believe. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's because uh, they were able to respond quickly and just went out and did it, put together this, this, this testing facility when the fire chief came in and said, I've got a couple of paramedics that have been exposed and they can't come into work because I can't get them tested. And, uh, and, and, you know, within a month, there's lines of cars uh, down the street getting tested at this facility. And again, it was an extraordinarily fast and agile reaction to changes mm -hmm. in, in the environment. And, and again, that is that can't be done through the hierarchical command and control top-down decision-making. It doesn't mean that the command and control decision-making doesn't have its place. It certainly does. Um, but we have to build in the agility and what I call in my book as a rad organization, resilient, aware, and dynamic. Um, and this is how they're, you, you have to build for a 90s kid like company. Me. Excuse me? That's a great terminology for a 90s kid like me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and for a Southern California person like me, I guess. Right. On one of the things you mentioned earlier, you know, maybe, maybe we, could, we could get close to closing with this, is that, you know, is, is having this disruption mindset or processes, not only at the C-suite, but for a front line, I forgot the term you used, um, how does this apply when it's you are at the lower levels, right? So to speak, quote unquote, um, you know, where people need to have results for people above them, whatever. How, how does this apply? How does this get applied when dealing with the quote unquote lower levels in the in the hierarchy, whatever? How would you apply this? Yeah, I mean, so or how do end, organizations apply, doing, should they apply it? Yeah, that's usually the for people that are actually doing that sort of work. And so I think that it's uh, mindset wise. Um, they sort of need to be able to feel entrepreneurial by admitting what they don't know and learning before executing. It's often difficult to do if they're in an environment that, that doesn't sort of allow that, doesn't create a sense of safety for that. Um, and so that's always really, to be honest, that's the struggle with my business is I have to teach those people, but I've got to get their, their management to agree right. that this is what, the same they, page. what they need to do. Right. Um, and it's very difficult, but partly it is in a lot of organizations that they're asking for permission. Uh, they're asking for funding to go and behave in this particular way. And 
often, to be honest, what I tell people is, well, go and generate evidence for your idea. So you're pitching ideas to management with evidence rather than just the idea themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that it's, it's, that comes directly from the startup world, right? You actually don't get funded these days as a startup because you've got a great idea. You actually have to bring evidence to the table. Um, Most investors nowadays will only invest in companies that have shown some proof that their business model is viable. They've got customers, they're growing and so on. And so I really encourage uh, people on the lower levels to figure out ways to go and generate evidence. And then when they go and ask the boss whether you know, they can work on a particular project, it's based upon evidence and you'll, you'll, you'll actually see a difference in response. Right. Well, that makes sense. Um, any, any other examples before we conclude our stories, examples on, uh, I guess, any of your recent clients or in organizations, how they've how they've taken this disruption proof, you know, approach or learning and experimentation to well, I think apply that the, it. the biggest example of the of the kind of the total transformation that I'm talking about is probably ING Bank. Mm-hmm. And so ING has completely changed the whole structure of their company. All of their banking units in 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 various cities uh, across Europe are organized sort of you know loosely based upon how other startups google amazon spotify are organized they form these tribes of uh workers which are really just agile teams uh and they're given uh missions and they are allowed to go and figure out what's the best way for them to accomplish that mission and, uh, and, and there's a whole other sort of reporting matrix uh, that is around their domain expertise. And so they've, they've separated out, hey, this is the work that we're doing in order to drive impact for the business from this is how we develop talent. And, uh, and so the whole company is structured. They don't have departments anymore. They have squads within tribes that have missions that are organized within the banking unit to is this separate from the day-to-day functions of like day-to-day functions of the bank all of this no or they're they're actually carrying out the day-to-day functions of the bank they're carrying out the day-to-day functions and Mm -hmm. so you can have a human resources agile team who's responsible for improving the services that they're bringing to their colleagues um, and the same goes with, uh, with marketing and it's all about the mission. Like there's really no reason why you can't take any business and break it down into, you know, the divisions or whatever that the different banking units, retail versus wholesale and all that. But then once you get down to a particular level, you should be able to divide up, uh, what the company's goals are, divide them up into missions and you assign those missions to these teams. And there's, Again, there's layers of hierarchy there to make sure that the context is correct and that they're aligned and that the work is being done um, via the right pri- priorities. But they're, but it's flatter than it was before, right? Because mm-hmm. you're not just managing people doing tasks. You're actually empowering teams to go and solve problems. Wow. Okay, I appreciate it. Fascinating. <laughs> it's uh, definitely it's a, definitely an education for me. And... Uh, you know, and, and, and I hope it's eye-opening to the people listening to this or watching this in the sense of, in the sense of being more systematic and more proactive about 
the disruptions that could happen and do happen. And I, we've, we've all seen many, many examples of that, of that happening. So it's, I, I think that people can be hopefully awakened from any sense of, uh, of complacency about so, things being stable. Yeah, so I think that the, the most actionable piece of advice I can give is to actually just build in a learning build in learning time. So if you, if you're running, you know, depending on how many people you have form a team around some part of your business where there's an unknown and just build into the practice that whether it's once a week or once a month, you know, the cadence can vary from organization to organization, but build in a half a day of uh, interacting with customers, build in running an experiment within some sprint uh, time period and I think that what you'll see is that you, you actually increase the efficiency of the business by admitting what you don't know and actually yeah. seeking to figure it out. Yeah. I, th I think that, that, I think that customer conversation point is, I mean, that's, it's a great example. I mean, how often do we just, we just go, go, go. We stop asking, we stop really asking how we're doing um, or what people want, um, you know, and uh you know, or, or there's some issue that you know there is, and you you know just not sure the best way to go about it. So, so that's, that's right. It could even be great. an internal process issue. I mean, we've seen companies figure out how a you know a design group would work better with a manufacturing floor because there's an internal gap that they need to to get over, and you just have to take the time. And 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 really, again, my argument is that if you do it once a week or once a month or once a quarter you're not really going to interrupt whatever your execution flow is. You're hitting your numbers. Um, and you just need to make some time to demonstrate that you actually can improve the efficiency of the company by building in the, yeah. these, these learning times. Well, yeah, I, I guess the way you describe it, it would seem almost inevitable that you're, you're going to find things you didn't know and could be doing better. I mean, exactly that's, right. It's, it's, of course, like <laughs> you put it that way. I mean, it's like, of course, of course you're going to find problems or issues or opportunities, however, you know, Looking at it on That's the positive right. side. That's right. But uh, but look, I definitely appreciate it. I invite everybody to check out BrantCooper.com. You can get his book, uh, uh, Disruption Proof, there. Find out more about him, BrantCooper.com. And really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. And I really appreciate people to, uh, you know, I really encourage people to reach out. I respond to any messages. So if people want to continue the conversation, please reach out. Yeah, please do. Again, reach out to Brandt, brandtcooper.com. Appreciate it. And everyone else, we'll see you on the other side. Thanks. You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.